So as we uh, kind of talk about this idea of the high priest in this message series, uh, just kind of recap what we talked about last week was this breastplate that the high priest would wear that had 12 stones, gems, that they would wear on their chest. And it would bear, each stone would represent a name of the tribe of Israel. And then he would have six names on each side of stones, these black, jet black stones, uh, on his shoulders uh, to bear the names of the tribes of Israel. And so when we look at this Old Testament passage, God is using this to get people's hearts and minds ready to receive Christ. I truly believe this, that the reason why God had this high priest exist was for people to understand the bridge the gap between this person, the high priest in Old Testament, to in the future recognize and see Christ. Now again, as we continue to move through this series, we're going to continue to show evidence of that. And so we ask that you bear with us as we go through some of this Old Testament and talk about it, which is good. And I think it's very, very interesting as we look at this. So let's look at, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 28. And just a reminder uh, for those that maybe like to use it on your phone, uh, there is the Version Bible app and you can go to events under the Version Bible app and you can access uh, the sermon notes if you'd like to use it there. It's kind of handy to save that if it works right and uh, that you can go and save that message and then go in and add your own personal notes and have all those there. So we try to do that each week uh, just to be a way for you to continue uh, to grow. And there is always, I, I usually uh, try to make sure there's a devotion of some type there for you as well. And don't forget, if you haven't yet read the book of Hebrews, we're asking everyone to just dive into the book of Hebrews. And you don't have to worry about starting anywhere else. Just start today if you'd like to read chapter 1 if you haven't been along with us. And actually we just finished up. So uh, you can start over. So we're encouraging people to actually read that through twice. And if you miss any days, those are makeup days for you. But we're trying to tackle on a few books of the Bible at a time. So let's look at Exodus chapter 28 and starting with verse 2. It says this, Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. I want to highlight this, that there was honor and dignity given to this high priest. He was supposed to be set apart. He was given this honor and this dignity because he was representing, like we talked about last week, the people of Israel. He was the conduit between God and man. And so this high priest was this person that was going to intercede and talk to God for the people of Israel. So it says, make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor, to be set apart for us to understand that this person is not just any priest. He's the high priest who goes into this holy of holy place, and he goes and meets with God and gives a sacrifice that we'll talk about with Pastor Mark next week, the Day of Atonement. And it says here in verse 3, tell all the skilled workers... Let's remember this. And this is just, again, just a fascinating note. That coming out of Exodus and they were slaves. That God was preparing them for this time. That they were craftsmen. 
They were doing and working on things for the Egyptians all these years, had great skill at creating things. Remember, they created a golden calf under Aaron's leadership and started worshiping outside of Egypt. And so these were skilled workers, able to do some fascinating things. Actually, the images we have of this robe and the garments of the high priest are probably not even accurate because we don't have the same skills that they used back then to make these garments. It says, tell all your skilled workers to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron, for his consecration, again, separation, this is an important figure in the Jewish, as far as what they believe and how they believe and how they interact with God. This person represents the intercessor for all the people of Israel. For, he is, for his consecration so that he may serve me as priest. Verse 4, there are the gar- these are the garments that are to ma- are, you are to make. A breast piece. Of course, we talked about that last week, this breastpiece that, that was created. An ephod, we'll talk about more about that, but just to give, to give you get an idea, it's like a backwards apron, a backwards apron that the high priest would wear. So a robe, which was just a, a fabric with a hole in it, like you sometimes did with a garbage bag. You put a hole in it, and you just put it over you. This, this garment, uh, this robe, was just a, had a hole and it was put over and it was a back and a front that would hang down. A woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron, his sons, so that they may serve me as priest. Have them use gold. This is very interesting because this is significant and we'll kind of go through some of these, but these are the collars that God uses. He wants to be used. And they're to be interwoven. In other words, these collars are to be mixed together to form some type of pattern that we can see that puts it all together. Have them use gold, blue, purple, and sacred or scarlet yarn and fine linen. So here, uh, as I showed you last week, here's an example of what this outfit looks all together. And this is what, uh, what we would interpret today, what this may look like. This is probably not an accurate depiction, and, and sorry for the image kind of being small, but it's kind of hard because we like, couldn't get the quality there of the picture, so we, we kind of kept it that size. But that is the idea of this person and what they would look like as the high priest. And so you see the, the robe I was talking about that has the hole that's blue, and then you see this ephod that's kind of like this backwards apron that hangs in the back and has a way to tie it around the front. You see the turban on his head. And you see these things that are listed here that we just read. Now we're going to talk about the collars and why they're significant. Why would God choose these five collars? And there's many examples, so I'm just going to go through a few today. But I think these collars represent and are interwoven. They're not just, as you look at that uh, ephod in the breastpiece, it kind of looks purplish, doesn't it? It kind of looks like something somebody would uh, um, make you a, a scarf or something, maybe do that crochet. And it, but they would use five different kinds of material. Gold, uh, purple, blue, red, scarlet, you know, uh, white, 
So these five different collars are being interwoven. So the first collar, what does it really represent? And, uh, you know, I've done some study on this and just looked at what other people think. And I think there's, you know, of course, Scripture is what we need to look at, really. But here's the idea is that gold can represent fire and prosperity. You know, the wealth of gold is, is, is inviting of prosperity, that God is going to take care of us. And there's also this idea that God is fire, that there's mention of this refining in fire and, and that we see fire being an instrument of God uh, teaching us and showing us or refining us or, or molding us or shaping us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 through 29, it says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. As in Revelation, we hear about Jesus' eyes look like fire. When we hear about Moses in the burning bush, you see fire. But yet that burning bush, it's interesting, that burning bush never, never burned, did it? Just that fire stayed lit. Well, the, burn, the bush did not burn. It kept going. So gold is representative. Many of us believe that it's representing God's fire. That God, it also represents God's prosperity. That God is the one we should trust. God is the one. And again, it's very interesting that these collars are interwoven. In other words, they cannot be separated. These ideas of God being fire, orange collar, gold collar, that you can't separate these collars in the fabric of the high priest because God is, it's like God saying, no, this needs to come together. This is, this is what I want to come together. I want us to come together. If you think about it, the high priest's job is to bring man to God. It's to bring God to man. This person is supposed to be the bridge builder between the two worlds from heaven to earth. From earth to heaven. Because in our state, in our sinfulness, we were separated from God. We needed someone to intercede for us. We needed somebody to represent us. And these garments are showing us that these two worlds are meant to come together. That there was an Eden that was created to be this place that we could worship and be with God and spend time with God. And when we sinned, we were cast out. Adam and Eve were cast out of that garden. But God did not give up on that hope. God wanted to dwell among his people. The reason why he was on the mountain in the first place with Moses. Because he desired to be with his people. He wanted to be amongst the people. And in this tabernacle that was built, this tent that was built for God, it was an opportunity for him to be with his people. But what did we do? We kept on sinning. The Jewish people kept on doing what man does, rebel against God. So God, in his foreknowledge, understood that. And he prepared another way. He prepared another way, but he was using this to help us understand that we need somebody to be that person that stands in the gap for us. So the second caller, let's talk about blue. And blue oftentimes represents this heavenly realm. 
It represents heaven. It's, it's the color of the sky that we see. And I know we can talk about the science of it, that the atmosphere and all that makes it look blue. But anyhow, we can get into that. But the idea is that heaven is represented by blue. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 26, it talks about the sapphire. And of course, sapphire is a blue stone. And it says in verse 26, it says, above, And above the ex- expanse over their heads, was, there was like a throne, and this is a vision that Ezekiel is seeing, and he's seeing heaven open up. And again, it's like one of those visions like we mentioned about uh, Isaiah that he saw. In the appearance like a sapphire, and seated above the likeness of the throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his wa- waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal. Like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him. Verse 28. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of all the brightness around, all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, listen to this. This is, again, when we interact with God, we're humbled. You can't help it. When you see God in his glory and his power, we're, we're all going to fall to our knees. It says, I fell on my face. He didn't even just fall on his knees. He fell on his face. And I heard the voice of the one speaking. So again, we see, again, we see fire, but we also see this blue sapphire. We see this wonderful presence. So blue represents this heavenly realm that we are wanting to go to. This is heavenly realm is in the presence of God. It's, it's this place that we're longing for, that we know this isn't just our home. We know that there's a place that we can be with God, be with our creator. God wants that to come together. God's desire is for us to be with him again. And this isn't just something, this is, a, this is the thing. God didn't just set this up overnight. This is God spending thousands of years preparing us, helping us to understand what his objective is. His objective with this high priest was us to have an opportunity for the people to be close to God, to hear from God. I didn't even get a chance yet to talk about these stones that he would put in his breastplate. The breastplate had like a pocket. It was folded and had this pocket. And I'm not even going to try to attempt to to mention the the names of the stones right now because I don't have them in front of me. But I didn't intend to share this, but there were stones that he would take out, and it would be like telling him God's will. As he would pray for the people, God would use these stones to help him know the will of God. That he could help the people make choices or decisions as they sought God. Again, God is trying to create a way for us as mankind to approach him, to seek him. And he does it with the Jewish people. Let's look next at purple. What does purple represent? Purple has always, early on in history, has represented royalty. And the reason being is because purple was not something that was an easy collar way back to make. For 
centuries. It was a hard, difficult collar to make. You would actually have to get something out of the sea to create a collar like purple. And so it was really rare. And only the wealthy, only the rich, only the the people that had great wealth had purple as a collar to use on their 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 people or their as a king or maybe their nobles you had to be very very wealthy to have purple the collar purple so god is using this collar purple to represent this royalty this royalty of of being important of being valued of being something of 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 worth and again i think it's very interesting just like god is using these collars to speak to us in a way that God uses things that we really can understand to grasp the concepts that he's trying to teach us. Yes, God and all the Bible is sometimes a mystery to us. And I could tell you, even as a minister, I don't understand everything that's there in the scriptures. But I tell you that God has tried many times to make things simple enough for us to grasp the concepts. The reason why he's using purple is because we are valuable to him. And that he has value as well. But these, again, are interwoven collars in the ephod, in the breastplate, to represent the connection of putting these things together. That these things, represented by these collars, are to bring us close to God. Daniel chapter 5, verse 16 Belshazzar was the son of Nebuchadnezzar, and, and of course, the, this is the scripture that is about the writing that's on the wall, numbering the days of King Belshazzar, because he was in defiance of God, because he took the goblets, and he was just a bad king, but he took the things that were meant for God, and he took these things and used them as just a party instrument when they were supposed to be representing and worship with God. So he started having a party and different people, many people were drinking out of these, celebrating. And so this hand appeared, writing a statement on the wall that his days were numbered. But he couldn't interpret the language he didn't know, so they searched the kingdom and finally found Daniel to come and interpret what was written on the wall. And it's just a fascinating story anyhow. But in verse 16 in chapter 5, it says, Now I have heard you that you are able to give interpretation, this is the king speaking, and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple. And again, a reason why I'm sharing this is to kind of highlight the fact of its importance, that purple was an important color back then, and it was oftentimes seen as this royal or this important thing. He goes on and says, and I and to have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. So by Daniel interpreting this dream, as many times before that God used him, Belshazzar says, if you can interpret this, I'm going to put a robe that is purple around you to signify your importance, and I'm going to put a gold medallion around your neck, and you'll be the third highest person in the land. And of course, most of us know the story, but if you don't, Daniel interprets it. It's not good news, but the king does what he said. He places Daniel third highest in the kingdom. 
looking at the scarlet now. The scarlet, of course, is red. And it represents the blood of the Lamb. Now for us as Christians, we go right to Jesus, right? But for this time, it's the blood of the Lamb that was sacrificed as an offering. You realize the first sacrifice God did when he sacrificed animals to clothe Adam and Eve, that animals lost their life to provide cover, a covering for Adam and Eve. It's blood that represents death. It represents atonement. It represents the fact that when we have sinned against God, this blood atones for our sins. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Powerful scripture. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be whiter than snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Well, that kind of leads right into my next collar, white. Because white represents righteousness. White represents no blemish, no stain. The linen that was used that was this interwoven of these five collars and this ephod was representing that all these collars of righteousness, of blood, of royalty, of heaven, of fire, were all coming together, interwoven. Psalm 51, verse 7 says, Cleanse me with the hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. See, even in the Old Testament, they understood that when the, sin, when the offering was given, when you sacrificed and the blood was shed, that that represented atonement. And that blood of the hyssop, and again, I just love that idea that the hyssop was that branch that was used to play, place the blood of the lambs over the doors in Exodus. When the people of Egypt, were, when, the, when the last plague was sent, that the blood was applied to those that trusted God. And their house was spared when God's spirit moved in. That each house that had the blood applied on their doorway was spared. So David is saying, cleanse me, cleanse me with this branch. Put this blood and let it be applied to this hyssop, this branch, and let it be applied to my life. This is the Old Testament talking about being cleansed with blood and being whiter than snow, to be without blemish, without error anymore, without sin anymore. Let's continue on here. Make, in, in Exodus, going back to Exodus chapter 28, verse 6 through 8. So we took a little hiatus, but now we're going to be back to Exodus chapter 28. Make the ephod of gold and a blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine, tw finely twisted linen, the work of a skilled hand. It is to have two shoulder pieces attached to two of its corners so it can be fastened. Its skillfully woven waistband is to be like it. One piece with the ephod made with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and with finely 
twisted linen. See, this is very, very important with God. Here is the ephod, and of course, there's the blue robe that is on this person. And of course, he's wearing this white robe that represents this righteousness. And uh, I think we'll get into it, or maybe I'll just go ahead and say it, but he also had to wear shorts underneath all this to cover his nakedness. They were shorts that went from here to here, and that would cover him. So underneath all that, he has this and this. And, and just to help us understand that the priests, all priests, would wear the shorts. They would wear the, the white robe, I guess, or the, the, the uh, undergarment there. And they'd wear the turban. But the high priest was the only one that wore the blue robe, the ephod, the breastplate, and the crown that we'll get into. Verse 31, make the robe of the ephod entirely of blue cloth with an opening for the head. Again, that gives that concept uh, in the, its center. There shall be a woven edge like a collar around this opening so that it will not tear. Make pomegranates of blue. Wait a second, what is this, pomegranates? We'll talk about that here in just a second. Make pomegranates of blue, purple, scarlet, Yarn around the hem of the robe with gold bells between them. So again, going back to that one image, we can see that kind of all coming together. You see at the bottom of this blue robe that there's these, what is a bell? And I'll show you another picture here in a second of these bells and these pomegranates that are made by those same five collars that are woven Verse 34, the gold bells and the pomegranates are to be alternated around the hem of the robe. Around Aaron must wear it when he ministers. The sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die. Again, this is it's kind of a dangerous situation that this high priest is going into. You know why? Because God is holy. We talked about that last week. God is holy. He's a holy God. It's not that God doesn't want us to be near him. But in the state of our sin, we go. God can't really do anything about it because he is so pure, so holy. Again, we need someone to represent us well. We need someone to stand in our gap. So these are the bells and the pomegranates. The pomegranates are this idea of fruitfulness. If you ever open a pomegranate, there's all kinds of seeds in the pomegranate. It was considered to be such a fruitful fruit. You'd have these alternating between the gold bells and the pomegranates. And they would, when, the, when the high priest would walk, you'd hear them coming. Again, to recognize this person as being special. This person was supposed to represent Israel. He represents God. Moving on. In verse 36, make a plate of pure gold and engrave it on the seal, holy to the Lord. Again, this person is supposed to be consecrated, separate, without blemish, separated, dedicated to God, holy to the Lord. It would say, holy to the Lord on his forehead with this gold crown fastened. Fasten a blue collar to it, again, that heavenly collar, to attach it to the turban. The turban was just white and wrapped around his head. It is to be a, a front of the, in front of the turban. So this is maybe a loose idea of what this could look like or what it did look like. This crown that was created 
I'm sure it looked 10 times better than what it looks here up on the screen. You know, it took, cost a lot of money. Again, where did all this gold come from? God had prepared it in Egypt, and when they left Egypt, God said, I'm going to give you all this stuff. You didn't work for I mean, maybe they did work for it in a way, being a slave, but God said, I'm going to let you take all the wealth out of Egypt. Of course, how did they get that wealth? If you go back far enough, how they got the wealth was Joseph, and because he was the one that was in charge of the food that saved Egypt and all the world. Because he had known this vision from God that there was going to be a famine. So God allowed Joseph to build up the riches in Egypt. So really it was their prophets that they had received anyhow. But it's interesting as you go back and you look at further that God. See God, sometimes we, we get so concerned about day to day. God's working thousands of years ahead of time. And he knows exactly what's going to take place. And even in the midst of our confusion, even in the midst of our dire situations that we face, God still has a plan. God still knows what's ahead. He knows the past, he knows the future, and he lays out everything. Verse 38. It will be on Aaron's forehead and he will bear, listen to this, he will bear the guilt involved in the sacred gifts that Israel consecrates. Whenever their gifts may, whatever their gifts may be, it will be on Aaron's forehead continually so that they will be acceptable to the Lord. He's bearing the weight of this. This person, this high priest, bears the weight to be holy to the Lord. It's this person's responsibility to bear the weight of presenting the gifts, the offerings for the people to God so that there can be a connection, there can be a relationship with God and man. And you know what? It's sad because if you read on and you know the stories, there was difficulty with these high priests. They weren't perfect high priests, right? Because man isn't perfect. There was always failure because man is, is, is tainted. And that's why God knew in advance that this wasn't going to be the permanent solution. This was just temporary because God was going to send somebody else. Somebody else was going to be this person, this representation of God. Verse 39, weave the tunic of fine linen and make the turban of fine linen. The sash is to be the work of the embroiderer. Make the tunic, sash, and cap for Aaron's sons to give them dignity and honor after you put these clothes on your brother Aaron and his sons, anoint and ordain them. Consecrate them. So they were supposed to be separate. They were supposed to be different. They were supposed to be set apart. They were supposed to be holy to the Lord. At times they were, and of course at times they were not. But the design that God had was for them to represent Israel and God. So that there could be a connection point. After you put the clothes on, oh sorry, consecrate them so that they may serve me as priest. Verse 42. Make linen undergarments as for the covering, the body reaching. Of course, this is talking about the, you know, I refer to them as shorts. That's probably... Maybe I shouldn't, but that, that's the idea, right? They were shorts, but they covered their nakedness. Uh, reaching from the waist to their thigh, Aaron and his sons must wear them whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they may 
they will, will not incur guilt and die. Not everybody would just enter this place <laughs> because it was holy. It was holy. In verse 43, the end of that verse 43, it says, This is to be an everlasting ordinance for the Aaron and his descendants. As we wrap up here today, I'm at this awkward stage of, because I can't help but talk about Jesus. In other words, as we do this series, we're kind of trying to really highlight the Old Testament. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews that you're reading. And, and of course, I shared one verse from there today. But let's think about Jesus' death for a second. John chapter 19, verse 1 through 3. It says this. Then Pilate took Jesus, had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his forehead. They clothed him in what collar? Purple. And he went to him again and, and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in his face. So one, we see the collar of purple. Where was Jesus from? What did Jesus been talking about more than anything? Talked about heaven. And Jesus was from heaven. So he represented himself as the collar blue. Here they put this, to make fun of him, these soldiers put this purple robe, not recognizing that they were standing in royalty. They were standing around Jesus. You see, as Jesus has this crown of thorns on his head, that it also represents the fact that Jesus had this crown of thorns. Well, why is that significant? If we look back at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17 through 18, it says to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground. Cursed is the ground from it because of you. Through pain and toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. I don't believe it was an accident that the crown that Jesus received was thorns. I believe the reason why he received a crown of thorns on that day when he was crucified was representing way back when Adam and Eve had sinned against God and the curse that was placed on the ground was placed and Jesus was bearing the weight of the curse that was spoken in Genesis. And what happened with that crown when it was pushed into his forehead? When they beat him, when they whipped him with the nine tails, the blood, the scarlet, the blood that was shed as Jesus was on this cross. Verse four. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, look, I am bringing him out 
to let you know that I find no basis of charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said, here is the man. Remember, Pilate finds no guilt in this man. He finds no reason. Why does he deserve death? So they take him, they beat him, they make fun of him, they slap him in the face. And Jesus is standing here with a high priest in a way, right? Because he has a purple robe, he has a crown on his head. He's righteous, he's pure, without blemish, he's white, without any sin. And he stands before Pilate as an innocent man. Pilate says, here's the man. Don't you see him? See how he's broken? See how he's been beaten? Verse 6, as soon as the chief priest and the officials saw him, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis against him. Verse 32, the soldiers therefore came and broke his legs. And the first man who had, sorry, I skipped down a little further, but uh, we're just moving into this time where the, the guards would break the legs of those that were still alive, but because Jesus had been put through so much. And again, I think the real idea is that Jesus gave up his spirit. He surrendered himself to God because he knew that he was going to be that sacrifice for us. So when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. They had broken the other legs of the thieves because they had not died yet. And again, crucifixion. And here in a few weeks on a Sunday school hour at 9.30, uh, Dr. Dennis is going to do a presentation of what it was like for Jesus to experience the crucifixion on Palm Sunday. So that will be coming up here in a few weeks. But here it goes. It says, instead... One of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. I just think of that blood and that water and the significance of that is that all that hit the ground. All the blood that Jesus gave was hitting the ground for our sins, was being poured out for our sins as an atonement for us. Verse 35 the man who saw it has given testimony, and testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies that you also, that you also may believe. See, John is this witness, and he's saying, I'm telling you what I know. I'm telling you what I've seen. I'm, I'm telling you these things so that you might believe. And again, belief is up to us. Belief is always going to be a choice that each one of us are going to have to make. Was Jesus who he said he was? Was there, do I need access to God? Do I need somebody to represent me? Do I understand that there's something wrong with me and that I need a God to come rescue me? That I need a Savior? And that's the question I leave with you today. Do you need representation? Do you need someone to stand in the gap for you? And as we continue this conversation of a high priest, I hope you see that God's plan was to bring us together. His desire is for man and him to be together. And one day we have this promise in Jesus. We have this promise. 
that one day I will be with him. Let's stand and sing this song of invitation. If you have a need today, feel free and come.